Welcome to episode 23 of the CowCast, C2E2 Recap. All right, we are back. I'm Eric. I am James. And we are joined by our special guest. Clint Stout. Hi. Back again, fresh from C2E2. Lots of thoughts to give uh, and some recaps on what we saw and did. So where do we want to start? Well, we can start. We didn't even, the last one we did didn't cover anything from C2E2 because we just talked about the Retailer Summit. So I think any C2E2 coverage that we do will be completely fresh. Yep. Uh, But why don't we start with Clint? Oh, actually, here's what we can start with. Okay. Trying to find parking going in the back way was a nightmare. Yes, it was. And it, don't ever, if you're going to McCormick Place, don't trust your GPS. It's going to keep taking you behind the damn building. And uh, just follow the signs to get parking to the, lot a. the parking structure. Parking ramp Correct. A or whatever Correct. it is, yeah. But, uh, yeah, why don't we start with Clint? Well, what were your first impressions? Well, um, when we got to the convention, you know, mm-hmm. I had to stay in a huge line. But it, it went went by pretty fast. Uh... Well, so you get there, and, and they have the the, the VIP area, right? Where yeah. You, the yeah. VIPs get in. Now, I think, and we didn't have this completely confirmed, but I think that the VIPs were all people that just bought weekend badges. I think if you bought a full badge for the weekend, you got a VIP pass, which lets you in early. And basically, the one advantage there was that you got in two hours before people that bought the Friday badge alone. Hmm. I, I think. I think that's really how they did VIP. Okay. At least it seems that way. <laughs> I don't know. Um, we Eric and I had pro badges, so we got to go in through that front section at 10 o'clock right away. Yeah. Um, even though, I mean, let's face it, we're not very professional. I, yeah, I no. wouldn't say so. Uh, but anyways, so you got in at 10 o'clock. Yep. I think the average schmo got in at noon. Is that correct? We'll go with it. Probably. Sure. So you had to stand in this line with all the people that were yeah. VIPs or weekend pass holders. And yeah. So we all got in. Uh, obviously, this is your first big con, so just the floor layout. What did you think? It was, uh, it was pretty neat. Well, uh, <laughs> initial, okay, so initial impression compared to you had been to Wizard World Chicago before. Yeah, yeah, a long time it? ago. What um, was your initial impression of C2E2 compared to Wizard World Chicago as far as just the initial layout? Hmm. Let, let me let me think about how Wizard World was. Uh, I feel like it was about the same. Uh, I think C two E two was a little more. There was a lot more comic stuff there, where I feel like um, Wizard World was just all sorts of stuff all over the place. I think C two E two was more organized. Uh, well, C two E two has a publisher presence that Wizard yeah. World does yeah, you not go have. In, right. Go in and there are all the publisher booths. Yeah. There, Artist Alley is off to the corner, and then you get just all other sorts of vendors elsewhere. Um, I think one of the things that I love about C2E2 is the carpeted walkways. But this year, oh, they could have used a, a roller to kind of flatten some yeah, of those bumps were, out. There were some bubbles in there. But, no, I, I, I do appreciate that. Well, anyway, um, <clears throat> if we want to talk about the layout of C2E2, when you walk in, it's... It's mostly publishers in that first. Yep. 
you can you can kind of think of it as being a, a big um, rec, uh, like a large rectangle that's sort of quartered, and that first quarter when you walk in, it's where your publishers are. It's where you know Hero Initiative is, or no, not Hero Initiative, CBLDF, yeah. um, Diamond. Is, your, your publishing companies and stuff are right there, front and center, and I think that that uh, speaks a lot to what. C2E2 is trying to push versus uh, a show like Wizard. But uh, after that, behind that, in that second corner, you have um, you have some vendors, be it comics or whatever they're selling, a lot of Funko Pop vendors. Cosplay. Like that. Uh, well, but then you have almost a, a – it's almost a separate section for just cosplayers. Like cosplay – Booths that sell everything from wigs and wings, yeah, and to LARPing swords and stuff like that. So they at least kind of keep that compartmentalized. So for the people that like to complain about it's a comic convention, what are all these LARPers doing here? Well, you can kind of ignore them. If you just stay right. out of this section, you can kind of ignore the whole cosplay vendor scene. I didn't even see any of that. So well, then <laughs> there you go. That's my case. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you have the, if if we're going clockwise here, then the next corner is going to be Artist Alley. Yep. Where Clint, you spent most of your time. Pretty much all of it, yeah. And then if if we keep coming back around in the in the uh, the four corners, the last one would be where your comic vendors primarily were. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the comic vendors at C2E2 are, I would say, a little bit of a higher quality than you would get at Wizard World. Although, you know, Wizard World has a lot more vendors. So one of the things you're going to be able to get at Wizard World are a lot of $1 books that you can dig through. And guys kind of selling just boxes of junk and stuff like that. C2E2 tends to be a little bit more, it's got more of a premium feel with what the vendors are selling, how they're set up, uh, and I, you know, a lot more graded books, and a lot like more, that. just a lot more silver age books and golden age. No, books I don't think that it, are, I don't think it's I don't think they have more silver and golden age books in Wizard World. I think that there's a higher ratio of them. I, I well, that could be, but I think that there's the the prices at C two E two for those books. I think are a little bit more reasonable than some of the wizard groups where you, they're just focusing on a very small specialty. I'm thinking non graded stuff. A lot, of, a lot more reader copies. It tends to be a little bit more friendly towards those things. I mean, based on the bins that I was digging mm-hmm. through and what I was seeing. So, I well, I would, yeah. Again, I would say that there are. I don't think. I think Wizard probably does have more guys selling silver and golden age books, but I think C two E two it was just a higher, higher ratio of those compared to the certainly a modern. lot more organization, a right. lot more curation to the the vendors. Right. I mean, it was. <clears throat> You're not sitting there going, "Is this your booth? Is this his booth? Is this who's this? what is this? What are the price on these?" I mean, you're not guessing that. It, it's a lot. It's clearly nicer. laid out wide aisles. Yep. Um, and w- which is something we've always complained about when the aisles are too tight. So that's much appreciated. And then the one thing that I always kind of get sick of at larger shows are the trade vendors, but worst of all, the trade shouters, where the they have. Uh, just a gigantic booth of trades, and they have somebody who goes, "All trades half off, half off all trades," and they yell every every thirty seconds. They yell that over and over and over and over again. And I have seen fights break out at Wizard because of that. 
uh, when a guy had his, his booth set up right next to a trade shouter. And finally, he got so fed up with it, he went over and started yelling at him. And they were getting in each other's face. They didn't throw any punches or anything. But I've seen, I've seen some altercations. Um, they didn't have that. There were like two trade vendors there that I saw. And it's not like we're looking at them anyways. But it's nice not to have that flea market feel that you get at, at Wizard. Mm-hmm. Guys shouting about half-off trades and stuff. Um, so it just overall, I think it's a little bit of a higher caliber of vendor there. Well, and, and beyond the vendors, when you talk about Artist Alley, definitely a higher caliber yeah. of convention. Higher quality <laughs> creators, huge just Artist Alley. I mean... Well, I think we, we can get a little bit more in-depth in that in a minute. <laughs> just just to give that initial overview, though, of what, what you have, that's what the, the show floor looks like at C2E2. Then, if you go... Um, if you would leave the show floor and go up a level is where they started to have panels. Um, they had a lot of different panels. Did you end up going to any panels? I only went to one. Okay, so did you have to go upstairs for that then? Was that? Yeah, yeah, okay. I did. Um, and the nice thing is they do have, um, unlike a lot of cons I have been to, they have a lot more bathrooms at McCormick Place that are readily available. I mean, you go to the... In the, the basement um, yeah. bathrooms in the main floor, there's a ton of them. Just tons and tons and tons of bathrooms. Where, like, Wizard, there have been years where there are, like, three stalls and there's a line of, like, 30 people to get in the bathroom. Wow. Never, ever, ever saw that at C2E2. Uh, yeah, I it's, it's a little things like that that make it such a nice show. Um, there, are, there are a lot of food vendors. There's beer vendors in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got your... It's... it's a little bit higher quality than your average con food, I think, is C2E2. Yeah. And there's a churro vendor. There's multiple yeah. churro vendors. Churro Flavor vendors. churros, We too. love churros. Uh, so there's that. But anyways, all right, so that's kind of the overview of the show and and the, the show floor and how it's laid out. But yeah. let's dive into your experience at Artist Alley, at least that first day. Oh, boy. Uh, well, we had talked about what you wanted to do. And yeah. you wanted to meet, and you were maybe a little nervous. And I, yeah, I was. So, how did all that? Give us your report. I want to hear about it. <sighs> um, well, Friday the first day. Um, that was kind of the day that I met all the big creators that I wanted to meet. I got everything signed that I wanted to get signed. <clears throat> um, it was all just really an overload meeting all these people. Um, not even sure where to start. Um, Greg Rucker was one of the guys I met. Uh, on Friday, I think he was the only guy I had to wait in line for. There, there were other lines, but, um, yeah, it, it wasn't too bad. Uh, and Greg Rucker was just such such an overwhelmingly nice guy. <laughs> like, I wasn't expecting that at all, just given the stuff that the stuff that he's written and just how long he's been in the industry. But um, he was just, you know, walking around, taking pictures with fans, um, just really energetic complimented my shirt. It was, it was great. The one thing I want to point out about Rucka too. So we did this in San Diego where we called out that, um, our germ Stanley Lau had mm-hmm. awesome glasses. Rucka has awesome glasses. They had kind of like a steampunky. I don't know. They were just so cool. They were metal frames, smaller circular, really awesome. So Greg, if you're listening, love the glasses. I don't remember who I was talking to, but I know I was somewhere else when you guys met Rucka. Yep. I think I was talking... I don't know who I was... Oh, I think I might have been talking to Justin Jordan. Maybe. But mm-hmm. either way... Um, yeah, so I wasn't there for the Rucka meeting that you guys had. But 
Sounds like well, it went well. It was his My meeting. Idea. I just happened to say <laughs> sure. hi while he was up there. Yeah. Eric butted it on it. Yep. Um, but yeah, that, that was really guy. cool. Um, I also talked to some awesome fans in, in the line there, which was just really cool, being able to... just you, you don't get many experiences where you get to talk with that many people who are not only into comics, but familiar with the creators. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just, that was just really neat. Just being in an area where that kind of thing was possible. Um, whew. another huge one. I mean, I guess I'll go into this right now. Uh, Jordi yeah. Belair, who is, you know, never probably, heard of her. <laughs> probably like, you know, I'd say the biggest colorist, at least, you know, right now that's active. Um, she's pretty much the reason why people pay attention to colorists these days or, some people, James. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I think I, I think I waited in like a short line. There were like two people in front of me. Um, very contrary to the rest of the weekend, where she had a huge line. Um, and I went up to her. Just really, really nice. Like, yeah, really nice. Uh, I told her that I was working on being a writer and stuff. And then uh, Eric and James showed up, and they completely embarrassed me. <laughs> just threw me to the wolves, told her, like, how, how much I was looking forward to meeting her, because, I mean, she was one of the people I was most excited about meeting, and, uh, you know, she she acted cool about it, and then uh, she told me that I could email her anytime, just, you know, send her some stuff over, and she even offered to color a cover for me, which was just insane. So, did she give you, so what kind of advice did she give you? Did you, did you end up getting any little bits of inf- helpful information. Not that you want to divulge it, but yeah. she, was she able to... Definitely. A, a lot of the advice... shop with you? Yeah, a lot of the advice that I got <clears throat> kind of seems to blend together, so I'll, I'll have a hard time reciting everything, but um, she... I remember she asked me if I was interested in being a colorist, too. And I was like, no, I just really enjoy your work. And, like, she said that was awesome and just said that if I'm paying attention to all the aspects of comic creating, like... That's going to be a good thing for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just because a writer has to... I mean, I think everyone in a comic needs to pay attention to every single other position working on it, just because it's such a collaborative effort. And, you know, especially being a writer, you're, you know, writing the instructions to put this thing together. Um, yeah. She was very gracious. She Oh, Totally. She was fun for for me to even be a part of the conversation to talk to. I, I thought that she genuinely cares about new people coming in, and you know, part of when she was talking to you about offering to color a, a cover for a book for you, um, you know, she made very clear to point out that she didn't want to do it for pay. She wanted to do it as a way, in any way that she could, to try and help you get some sort of awareness, notoriety. I mean, yeah. she's smart enough to know that. Her name on a book, while it may not carry the cachet or clout as a Jason Aaron or an Ed Brubaker, seeing Jordi Belair's name on a book does draw people's attention because it, she does yeah. great work. <laughs> so um, for her, I think, to reach out and do that is just a, a confirmation of, by and large, the large percentage of comic book creators. You know, they, they want to help further the industry. There's some that can be mm-hmm. a little arrogant mm-hmm. or rude about it, but... Yeah, I, I just I thought that was really really cool of her to do that and to give you her personal email, um, you know things like that where it gives you a channel to be able to just discuss in a casual environment. I think is really cool. 
So, yeah. And it was fun to watch you interact with her. I was freaking out, especially after that offer. Like, you, you looked like a <laughs> oh. thermometer that was about <laughs> yeah. worse. You were yeah. Was yeah, I mean, like, these, these people are my heroes here. And just meeting so many of them in one day, let alone just seeing how down-to-earth they are, and just made me feel like my goals are possible. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just really cool. And that was one of the one of the big connections I made. Um, another one uh, is uh, Michael Walsh. He's a uh, an artist that I really really like. He worked on uh, I think the most recent Secret Avengers run. He did that uh, Hank Agent of Hydra book. Then uh, that uh, X Men book with uh, Max Bemis too. So that's kind of his his big work right now. Um, and I really like him from the Secret Avengers run. So uh, he's one of the first people I went up to. I wanted to get commission from him, so I quickly took care of that on uh, on Friday. And I, I stopped by his booth a lot over the weekend. I'll get back to uh, I'll get back to him a little bit later. But uh, <laughs> he was just a really really nice guy and really supportive. Um, I mean, a lot of the creators I met were just really happy to give me advice and just <clears throat> really cheering me on, which felt great. Probably good that came from another source besides just James and I. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it, it it was it was fun to so James, you and I were kind of bouncing around all over the place doing different mm-hmm. things and it was fun because throughout the day we would just we knew if we wanted to see Clinton we just had to go to Artist Alley. Yeah. We'd find him That's in it. one of the twenty seven rows or whatever it was. He'd yeah. be floating around there. Um and we, you know, James, you and I, we we had some some business to take care of. We had to go say hi to our, our good friend Otis. Yep. Make sure that he was doing all right, and he sure was, and the, that uh, he was starting to get some traction on those Jawa Adventures covers that he's been mocking Clint, up, trying Clint to get some and I attention. Even got to pretend to be Otis, and we, he left yeah. his booth for a minute. That's right. That was, that was fun. Yeah. Uh, we didn't make any sales. Clint alienated everyone. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but me. <laughs> but uh, after that, or I should say, well, before that, yeah, after seeing Otis, though, for the first time, we had, well, I had a short list of people that I wanted to talk to. And obviously Phil Hester uh, has been at the store before, so I wanted to mm-hmm. see him and talk to him. And he was late getting there, but we did have this funny run-in with a woman who we went oh over there. This woman sitting at the uh, at his table, at his table, and she she how long did she sit there? Four hours? A long time. Yeah. And she reminded me if you've ever seen Bad Santa <laughs> of the midget's wife from Bad Santa, and. Uh, we we're like, is is uh, is Phil here yet? Or she's like, I don't know, but I am first in line. I am I'm the first one in line. And we're like, okay, <laughs> we're, we're not gonna argue with you. And we came back again like an hour later. She's like, still sitting there. Like no Phil. She's like, I'm the first in line. I am first in line. We're like, okay, all right, that's you got it. We're not gonna fight you. Um, and he was, and then she kept saying that she emailed him and he he wasn't getting back to her, and I don't know. So, um. That was that was sort of funny though. But then finally, like the third time was a charm, and and Phil was there, so we talked to him for a little while. And, I ended up uh, buying art. Yeah, that me was too. And he's he's a, <laughs> a consummate professional, Phil Hester is, and, and just an all around nice guy. And we love his work here. Uh, so we saw him. We went over and talked to Tim Seeley. I talked to Jenny. Yep. And uh, you know they had when. We knew that they had some kind of announcement to make at the show. Yep. Because uh, Revival had ended. 
and they had a panel called what comes next, I think. And we didn't know this because we we were only there Friday, but this panel that they have for the weekend was talking, or debuted a kind of a teaser proof of concept type trailer for an independently made revival movie. And, um, of course, we had no idea about that when we were talking to them, but it's kind of cool that they were able to get that off the yeah. ground. And it looks good based on the teaser. I think it's, you know, it's obviously going to be a lower budget than mm-hmm. Warner Brothers or Marvel Studios, but I think it fits the genre, and I, I'm excited for it. Yeah, it should be cool. So we talked to them. Um, who else did we have on our list? Well, we talked to we talked to them. We talked to we got to see Dave Dorman. Oh yeah, stopped yeah, back Dave and Dorman. saw Dave. He's he doing had, well. He's doing great. He had our commissions done yep. for us, which is great. And they looked excellent. Yep. Excellent. Um, and we didn't, the best part was we didn't think he, we didn't I, think I he talked was gonna to him the week, the week before and he made it seem like he wasn't going to have them done in time. And we went over there and he just like reached under the table and pulled our, our commissions out for us. It was yep. awesome. So that was a real pleasant surprise and a great way to start the, start that Friday off. Um, Oh, we could, I don't know, can we attach a picture of our commissions for people? Um, I think we yeah, can attach we can a picture. Yeah, should be able yeah, to do that. Be neat. I got a, another Boba Fett, and you got a... I got a, a Frank Miller-esque Batman. Yeah, they both look really good. Yeah. So that was neat. Uh, uh, then we toddled on over to Joelle Jones. Mm-hmm. Talked to her for a little while. Um, that, was, that was entertaining. She's obviously super busy, uh, but it was nice to get a little bit of a... Uh, Name to face recognition with her. Yeah. Uh, Dan Jurgens. We talked to Dan Jurgens. Dan Jurgens, yep. He's cool. uh, nice guy. Very busy. He was, I, was he already maxed out on commissions when we talked to him? Yeah. Speaking of uh, Superman people, you got to talk to who? Did you get a script? Christopher Reeve. Depends. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Patrick Gleason and Peter Tomasi. Really cool guys. Um, yeah, I talked to Patrick Gleason first. He was setting up, and I went and we went over there, and I'm like, "Oh, it's Patrick Gleason. Let's go talk to him." Yeah, and he was like almost set up, and then some guys like, "This is the line." We look over, and there's like a line of sixty people. Yeah, the line. But they were, were like te- they were like ten feet back from the booth, so we had no idea. We just thought, "Oh, nobody cares." But, but Patrick yeah. Gleason, what the heck, you know? But <laughs> the lines were broken up to, you know, to keep the keep the crowd going, which is really smart. But well, was, they had them. Yeah. They had them kind of um, very intelligently positioned, definitely to keep the flow of traffic going and keep the the hallways unencumbered. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the things that they must have done was taken people that they knew would be the bigger names that would be getting uh, the most attention, and they put them kind of on the very tail end of Artist Alley towards the back of the building because there was a lot of open space there and they had um, like taped off lines. So your um, uh, Hickman and a bunch of those other bigger names, Jason Aaron were, were towards the end there so they could have these big queues that could file up Yeah, and they weren't blocking anything because it's just big open space. And then you go a little bit further over to the right and there's, tables and and seating for food and stuff but that's pretty much it so they've even that they even even the placement of the creators in artist alley were planned out well enough to not cause any blockage in the in the flow of traffic in artist alley and Mm -hmm. i thought that was just 
Because if there's one thing you don't want, it's blockage of any kind anywhere. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, I felt it, it was just really cool seeing how dedicated C2E2 was just to make that experience good. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, they had people running the lines, too. Mm-hmm. When I saw Jonathan Hickman finally on Sunday, there were, like, two people running his line. And it's just, it's so cool that they were, you know, they were hiring people just to make those little details great. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Well, there's, you know, Otis is one of a number of creators we've talked to who basically say, as far as their schedule, they plan two shows a year. They plan to do San Diego and they plan to do C2E2 because they are both very creator-centric. And New York is uh, New York is also up there, there for a lot, lot of people, those creators yeah, now. Which is also Repop, so... Yep. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So, uh, Patrick Gleason. Uh, really nice guy. Uh, I don't know if I really have anything to say. I mean, I was just talking <laughs> to him, like, saying, like, I love your work on Superman. You know, you're, like, one of my favorite Superman artists. And uh, this, this book, uh, you know, there's Superman Rebirth, got me into Superman. I bought a cover from him back... When he first jumped on Green Lantern Corps, yeah, um, that was right after Green Lantern Rebirth came out, okay. and uh, he was a really nice guy. He was a, back when creators used to go to Wizard World Chicago. But I, I bought a uh, uh, one of the Green Lantern Corps Blackest Night tie-in covers from him. Cool, that was pretty neat. So he's he was a nice guy back then too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure he's an even nicer guy now. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> and who was right next to him? Uh, Peter Tomasi, who is the writer of Superman. I mean, Patrick Gleason is also a co-writer, so we can't forget that. But um, yeah, Tomasi had a bunch of scripts for sale that he printed out and he was signing. And it was just really cool being able to see that and uh, actually have his uh, Superman Rebirth, uh, Rebirth special script right at my writing desk. And I've been kind of looking at that just to see hmm. how how he writes his scripts. And I was really surprised to see just how how informal they were. Because he's, he's just addressing the artist by name. And, you know, for Superman, he just writes soups for every hmm. piece of dialogue he does. And, you know, it just really opened my eyes to see how, like, a comic script is not really part of the comic. It's instructions on how to make it. Um. And that kind of changed. The they're way. not. They're not all Watchmen scripts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that too. Um, yeah, it was just. It was really cool seeing that, and it kind of. But that's uh, addressing what we talked about before with two guys that have such a working relationship with each other that mm-hmm. they don't. He doesn't need to extrapolate because he knows that he, it's going to be interpreted the correct way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was really neat. Um, and you were talking about Dan Jurgens. Mm-hmm. Um, on Friday, I actually, I talked to him for a little bit. He was just, he wasn't doing signings at the time. He was just drawing a, a commission, I think. And there was nobody at his table. So I went up to talk to him. He's just really nice guy. We were talking about just all the changes that were made to Superman during Rebirth. And I just, I kind of told him how, you know, I really didn't read any Superman before Rebirth and how his work got me into it. Um... So yeah, that was that was just really cool talking to someone who's just been such a huge part of the industry for so long. Well, and define the character since y- yeah, the, yeah. Like, I mean, geez, pretty much since <laughs> I've been reading Superman, or when I started reading Superman, it was Dan Jurgens. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows the death of Superman. Everybody had yeah. 
a copy of Superman 75 or 10 or 15 copies. Um, and the, that's the iconic Superman that everybody my age really remembers. Not that people don't love Kurt Swan or John Byrne or whatever, but yeah. I mean, that's probably my favorite Superman that Jurgens era. Oh, I think John Byrne. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no, no. But anyway, no, Jer- but Jurgens, he really is. It's amazing that he's a guy who is able to kind of define Superman for multiple generations. Not like he set the standard so high, although I think he did that too. Mm-hmm. But like he's still working on the character, kind of redefining the character. Yeah. So I think that's kind of a neat thing, and not many people really get to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, Frank, like Frank Miller, when he does All-Star Batman or Dark Knight 3, <laughs> it's, it's really playing on the same character that he... Like it's not an incontinuity version of, of that character. It's... Frank Miller's Batman. Like Dan Jurgens is making he's still he's he's keeping super, the character of Superman relevant, but it's not like early nineties death of Superman era of Superman. It's mm-hmm. he can change with the character a little bit, but he's still yeah. guiding it. I, I think it's so cool that they brought him on for rebirth. Yeah. You know, he he just had such a part to play in who Superman well, is and And speaking of, of artists that have kind of changed with the characters, maybe I'm not gonna say reinvented or reinvigorated, but brought a different look to to some of the characters to match the time without changing the overall feel. We talked to Brian Stelfreeze for a good chunk of time, mm-hmm. and talking to him about how he came up with the kind of redesigned Black Panther character design uh, was actually really interesting. And in how he had talked about simple things that he wanted to make you know, keep that, the, the Black Panther costume being dark and black, but he wanted to introduce the shadows and the darkness to it. And he realized that by doing that, it looks like Batman. So what did he do? He t- took the ears and tilted them back. Mm-hmm. And he also wanted, you know, you've, you've got the King of Wakanda, right? You need to be a physically imposing figure because he's also their war leader. So he wanted to make sure that the broad shoulders were there, that there was a, you know, a stance of power and and things like that. And just talking to him about how he went through the whole creative component to that well, visually it wasn't was really awesome. Talking to him, is, I'll tell you what it felt like to me. Like we had walked into a Brian Stelfreeze panel. Like the amount of information yeah. he was giving out, <laughs> yeah. about the creation of that book, just to us, just two guys, was, and there was, was nobody in line for him. No one. And there was some, well, but every once in a while, somebody would walk up with some books for him to sign. Yeah, and he would sign it, but he never broke his his right his dialogue. He just kept right. going. And it like I was like, man, we should be recording this because there's better stuff than we're going to record. Yeah, you know? it was really great. And then he talked about I don't want to get into his story because I'm sure he'll he likes to to tell it. But basically, how he tried to not do the art on Black yeah. Panther um, was very entertaining to hear. I liked hearing whenever I can find a a point of kind of fanboy agreement with the creator. I always it's very uh, validating, and we both have the same favorite Black Panther artist, which Mark Texiera, of course, on the Christopher Priest run, which is my favorite Black Panther run. But then uh, I mentioned the the Joe Jusco covers on that run, and he was also a, a humongous fan of that. And I think that those those Joe Jusco Black Panther covers are, are probably my favorite depiction of the character. If you hear those sounds going on across the street, they're demolishing a building. Yeah, they're not demolishing so, our building. So, but Yeah, so that's <laughs> what you're hearing. Um, 
but anyways, yeah, we, we have, uh, it's, it's just neat to have a, a character like, like black Panther and the guy working on, on him 20 years later, likes the same stuff that we grew up reading. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if anyone sees, is at a convention and Brian Stelfreeze is there, I strongly recommend going over and just talking to him because like James said, he, it was literally like we, we were in almost like a Brian Stelfreeze masterclass where he was just giving us everything and we just sat there and listened and, and it was fantastic. So that was, that was probably one of the creator highlights for me. And, and I will admit completely unexpected. Yeah. I just wanted to yeah. stop and tell him how much I really loved his new character redesign of, of Black Panther. And, and then that just led into a 20 minute discussion. So I wonder if you're a creator there at C2E2, um, we went up to, we talked to a lot of creators without bringing anything to really get signed. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if they, um, I, I'd like to know what the amount of people that go up and talk to a creator is and just want to, the, they just want to talk to them versus the people that sign these things for me, please. <laughs> you know, I just, I, you got to figure they would, they like signing things, but it's probably a breath of fresh air to just to talk. Yeah. Just have somebody come up and say, mm -hmm. I like your work. And right. So, you don't always need to bring a short box of stuff for somebody to sign. Which, I mean, we had firsthand experience with something similar to that when we were in San Diego, just going up and talking to creators. Oh, yeah. Not even having to have something. Or even if you had something, it was you had the conversation first, and then it came out, and it was like, oh, hey, yeah, you got that. I'll sign that quick. Mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah, it is. It, and the discussion, I think, is getting signatures is fun because it's like it's validating the product that you have. But the conversation is, to me, Well, you can Trump's tell it. you can tell the people that... We saw one guy in particular who had one of those little roving carts, you know, and he had three <laughs> short boxes on that cart. And he had another little like, uh, like travel bag that was strapped to the back of the cart. And he was going to Artist Alley and getting, he'd go to one person and he would have like, he'd open a short box and he'd have a ton of partitions. And there were some creators where he would bring out a stack of what had to be 80 books for them to sign. Now the the first thing, if you're if you are going to go get books signed at a convention, you either window window box it. We can get back into that in a little while <laughs> because there's something that came out of the show about that. Or unbag the damn book. Do not take your stuff out because the creator's mm -hmm. not going to like it. They're not going to unbag and board your stuff. Um, and if People are behind you. They are going to hate your guts if you have to unbag and board 80 books. If you're in a line for 30 minutes, you, you've got nothing else to do, literally nothing else to do. Get your stuff ready to get signed. And and I would – I try to live by the rule of three. You don't need more than three things signed. Yeah. Or if you do, get back in line. Be respectful to the other patrons. I mean – Yeah. I, I get it, you know – I would, I would have loved to have had every single one of my Wonder Woman Jenny Frizen covers there for her to sign. I, it's just, it's at what point, right? So I got two. Or wait, or wait for a lull. Exactly. You know, like don't, yeah. don't clog up a line to get somebody to just sign. Basic books. con etiquette. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I'm, we're, we're, I mean, we grade a ton of books all the time. You know, we want, we love getting, getting books. We're professional resellers. There's no yeah. doubt about it. But at the same time, you got to respect. Everybody else that's there to see the creator. Yeah, something I found interesting now that now that we brought that up. Um, some of the bigger creators had some interesting ways of kind of keeping the flow going with some people with a lot of big books. Um, 
Greg Rocco for one, I think like I think he had a limit on how many he was doing, and if you had some after that, you just kind of had to wait off to the side until the line was gone, and then he would sign the rest of them. At least that what I I think that was what was going on. Um, and I think Hickman had like a three or five book limit, and then he was charging after that. Oh, really? Which, okay. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that was him. Um, and that was just you know kind of it's, an interesting way of you some know, creators charge based on character, like Rob yeah. Liefeld. Hmm, Deadpool. It'll be like forty or sixty dollars to sign it if it's Deadpool or Cable, and I think anything else they'll just sign it for yeah. free. I don't know. I think he was charging for all. I, I didn't meet him, but that's what I thought I heard. He would charge you to sign like a Young Blood or a Brigade. That's what I thought I heard, but I all right. I didn't meet him, so I don't know. No, not neither of us. Man. None of us did. <laughs> brigade was a hit. So, about <laughs> Young Blood Strike File. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> We don't talk about that. So even creators are regulating that then? Yeah, I mean, at least, like, you know, the ones that are going to have huge lines. Uh, How did they handle it? Did they just tell somebody that, or did they point at a sign, or... I I only saw it really happen with Greg Rucka, and, I mean, he was just super, said, super nice guy. I said, hey, man, uh, yeah. I'm only sending this many, but if you want to wait here... I was a little, I was a little behind in the line, so I didn't really hear what he was saying. But okay. I just kind of saw him like nicely talk to the guy, and he just had a stack and just kind of stood by the side while the other people were going through the line. So I found that kind of interesting. How you know, because like if I were a creator signing books there, like let's say I'm like a huge name, like Greg Rucka, like that's something you really have to think about because you don't you don't want to come across as mean, but you also want to be nice to the other people in line. Yeah, you want to see get everybody. It going. So I just found it really interesting how they did that. I wonder if those, if you're a creator and you get a lineup, you're Greg Rucka and you get 60 Thank people you. in line. Yeah. Someday. <laughs> uh, and you see, just don't forget your roots. You see that guy with the short box and right next to them, you see that, that recognizable shirt and you're like, Oh, there's a CGC witness. And this guy's got a short box. I wonder if you're just like, God darn it. Like just every, every, every person that goes through is one, one person closer to getting to that person. And I wonder if that, they see those, like those CGC people are kind of like a standout to them where they're like, damn it. Another one. Yeah. Yeah. I think that again, that's why I live by my little rule of three, maybe five. And like I said, if you've got more than that, get back in line. If mm-hmm. it's, you know, that important. And, and which is, which is how a lot of, a lot of, Places will handle signings, yep. or creators will handle signings, whereas you can get as many things as you want signed, just not at once. Right. Like, they'll limit it to three or five, and they'll say, okay, use your five items. If you've got 75 more to sign, you've got to go through the line in increments of five, and yep. eventually mm-hmm. we'll get it done for you. It might take you all day, though, depending but, on the But creator. we need to be respectful of all the other right. patrons. And I think that's the best way to do it. Yeah. Every, there's an, the option is there. Yeah. Um, the only other creator I think that I stopped for any amount of time was, uh, I, every C2E2 now I have this thing where I hop in Katie Cook's line and I get a little watercolor figure for my daughter. Uh, but it was entertaining as always just listening to her. Um, she was a little under the weather, but she was still cranking them out those little, uh, those little watercolor cards that she does. So that was fun. Um, I don't know if I really... Stopped by any other creators. And two or three times we talked about maybe jumping in Jason Aaron's line, but it was always super long, so we just kind of said, ah. Whose line got capped? Jason Aaron. Okay. And, and Rucka's did. They were Well, Rucka was having his line capped every so often, 
just to make sure he could get through people because I think yeah. he had a panel or two to go to and he didn't want to mm-hmm. leave feet like just walk up and go. So he was having the C2E2 people regulate his line. Jason Aaron and uh, Jason Latour, their line was being capped at yeah. certain increments. I didn't even get to so, see them. Yeah. Just, hmm. They're no names anyways, right? <laughs> I talked to Justin Jordan, and I wanted to talk to him about <clears throat> he he worked on Crossed uh, for a little while for Avatar, and I, so I approached, oh, and you, you talked to James Tinian. Don't oh, yeah, about that. that's right. But uh, the Justin Jordan thing. So I talked to him for a little while and I asked him about Avatar. Because one of the things, I'm a, I'm a Crossed fan when it's Ennis or like a couple other random writers. For the most part, though, Crossed got way out of control. And uh, I think Avatar let it completely get out of hand. Um, Avatar has been a non, as a company, they've been a non-presence at cons for years now. They used to be at every show. Avatar would have a huge, I mean, they'd have a giant booth, like a, image size section, dark horse size section. And for a while there, I'd go there and I'd meet, um, when I, I met like Jason Burroughs and some of the other artists and a few of the writers that they had on hand at the time. And, um, they have, they've just, their outputs petered out. They're down to a few titles right now. Um, they have a, there's a company called, I think it's boundless that had a Kickstarter well, that's actually part of Avatar, if, if I understand that correctly. That's actually a part of Avatar. And I I think for a while, you know, they had Warren Ellis, Alan Moore, Garth Ennis. They had a lot of big names writing for him. Kieran Gillen mm-hmm. is writing Uber. Um, he's still writing it, but that's a finite series. Uh, Alan Moore's done now because Providence is over. Warren Ellis, I don't think, is writing anything for him anymore. And... Um, Ennis was supposed to have a book, a new cross series that was going to be like his magnum opus for cross come out like two years ago, or it might've been last. Yeah, I think it's like two years ago now and nothing ever, nothing happened. Like it never came out. And then they just ended all the cross series. And I have sent emails to, to avatar. I've contacted them on Facebook and I have tried, I've tried to get in touch with rich Johnson from bleeding cool, bleeding cools owned by avatar, I believe, or owned by Mark, Seaford, I think, Pretty sure. who owns Avatar. Never heard anything back from him. I'm sure he can't really discuss it. Uh, so finally, I was like, well, Justin Jordan's there. I want to go talk to him. And, and I asked him what's going on. See if he knows anything because he had written Cross. Uh, and so I asked him. He's like, yeah, I don't. He's like, I don't know. He's like, I haven't <laughs> heard from them in a while. I haven't haven't heard anything from them. And uh, he's like, I, I don't know. And I, I won't get you know too deep into it, but... He just didn't seem to know what was going on with them, but I haven't heard anything really good. So I hope <coughs> I hope they didn't stretch themselves too thin with jumping into nineteen variant covers for every issue. And I don't know. I, but I wanted it was it was neat to be able to kind of talk about that with the creator and just see if I could get some clarification on it mm-hmm. because they they had for for all of the gore porn books they put out, <laughs> they they do have some quality stuff. I mean, the, okay. Alan Moore's Providence was good, and Ennis's Cross was good, um, and Kieran Gillen's Uber is, is a great read too. Uh, but yeah, it was it was neat to be able to talk to a creator about that. So that's pretty much, I think, the extent of uh, meeting creators on on my end. We did a lot of uh, we had some customers that wanted us to get some con exclusives for them, so we went around and we picked some of those up. 
the main ones that we wanted to get were some of the convention exclusive uh, button variants for Batman 21. Yep. Which was a graffiti designs. Now, when, and this happened in San Diego, we discussed how you could be the first one in the door and there's already going to be a line. It's because the vendors that are in there, the retailers are, are going to line up well before you can. Mm-hmm. So we got in before everybody else did, before they let in like all the VIPs and the, the people with regular badges. But even then, when we got to the graffiti designs table where DC had the foil covers being sold through, there were probably 40 people in line already. And we jumped in line there, and uh, it was a little bit of a wait because those foil covers, as we've discussed in the previous podcast, they... They're all, they're like all damaged, you know, like nine twos, nine fours tend to be what you see the highest grade of for those foil covers. Yeah. And what happens is the line, it's, it moves like molasses because everybody wants to go through, you have one guy and he's checking through a hundred copies of the book to find the best five because he wants to get them graded. And imagine every single person doing that. It takes forever. So finally, I think what they started doing was they would just hand you, you'd yep. tell them how many books you wanted. Because the line went from moving... A foot an hour, it felt like, to... Yeah, to all of a sudden, bang. boom. And I think they just said, nope, this is it. You want the books, we're going to hand them to you, you pay us, and you're done. Yep. Like, no sifting through there to find your nine sixes. The and other thing that ticked me off? Sales tax. That was ridiculous. I thought they only charged sales tax on credit card, did they? Yeah. But it slowed the line down. Yeah, so you're right. Like, oh, wait, what? No. Okay, what? but mm. this is an important thing. So I'm just saying. Bring, that was, that was wh- who goes to a convention and doesn't bring cash? Bring. Mm. Newbies. <laughs> bring, uh, you know what? Bring, bring cash, cash. Because you're, you're just like anything, cash is king. And even if it saves you um, $4.80 or something in tax, it's $4.80 that you're saving. You're saving time, too, because you're not sitting there waiting for the machine to run. And there were two instances when we were in line where there there were credit card problems. Yep. And my guess is somebody probably came out from New York or the West Coast and didn't call their bank or their credit card provider, and now their credit card was getting declined because there's a a $300 charge in Chicago. And that's to bring cash to a show. Bring cash. And we will not hate you if you bring cash. Credit cards are great for a last resort, but it's the yeah. the first hour of the first day of the show, right? So, no excuse to hold and, the line up. Like you know, that. doing stuff like uh, like buying your food from the concession stands on a credit card, fine. Who cares? That's mm-hmm. the same price either way. Mm-hmm. That's hardwired in, right? So anyway, we picked up a couple of those foil covers, and then um, we hit the Skybound booth, and we got. Uh, of course, how can anyone have known about Redneck? taking off the way that it had yeah but we got a redneck cover um and one of the akira variants of extremity Mm -hmm. which was really cool i just picked that up because i'm an akira fan i actually got that from danny warren johnson who that's awesome really nice guy had uh, i known it i would have gone over and got it from him yeah yeah he was he was super cool um i actually hadn't read extremity before then i have now it's great i still haven't read it yeah that's one of those very few instances where i've never read the book I don't know anything about the plot, yeah. but the cover was so damn cool, I had to buy it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm always a sucker for those uh, takes on the Akira poster. Akira poster. Um, yeah, he, he was he was a super cool guy. Um, 
I hadn't really read any of his stuff, but uh, I just had to go up to him, and I'm a fan of him now. So nice. There you go. A couple other. Oh, I was just going to say a couple other variants, and get that all out of the way. Um, we had uh, one customer who wanted some of the zombie tramp variants, convention exclusive variants. That's a huge market. It's a sub market, but yeah, it's a zombie mm-hmm. tramp. Yeah, it's very niche, but it is, it is a large, large market. I mean, there there are people that will buy every variant for that book. And they have like the con exclusive variant. You'll get your New York variant or your C2E2 variant. And you have the regular variant and then you have the risque variant, which uh, is exactly what you think it is. Are they not already though? Well, yeah. <laughs> more risque than, than, more risque than normal. Uh, but this year at Must C2E2, the, purchase. the risque variant and the regular variant, whatever the C2E2 variant was, was kind of a zombie tramp play on X23. So we had somebody who wanted, who's an X-23 fan, not a Zombie Tramp fan. So they wanted that book. Uh, so that was some brilliant planning on the Zombie on Action Lab's part to have a X-23 analog on the cover there. They know how to sell it, give them that. They do. <laughs> so, we, so we got those. We got, um, what, other, what other variants did we hunt? Well, we got, we, a, we got a number of different variants also from the day before. Well, yeah, we got the ones that were given to us at the Retailer Summit, but I'm just just talking about the ones that you could buy on the floor. We missed out on the IDW Turtles variants. It sounded really cool. I think they all had a little Eastman sketch on them, so that's a, a bummer to miss out on. We didn't even know about them, though. I didn't that's, until now. I know. That's the thing with these shows, is, and we tried to do this in San Diego. We thought we had so much prep time, we're going to find out everything. We're going we're gonna to hit this and this and this. And then I remember that first night, uh, like, oh, yeah, but people would, people asked if we went to Eric Powell's booth and got the Hillbilly San Diego variant. No, we didn't even know about it. Did you get the Foil Batman? No, we didn't even know about it. You can never... Can't know never, everything all the right, time. Right, you cannot prepare... <coughs> you can't be 100% prepared in advance of a show to hit everything and to get everything. There's going to be stuff you don't know about. There's going to be stuff offered at the show that's not advertised ahead of time. You just have to do the best that you can, you know, and and you're never going to win all the time. So we don't feel too bad about it. Um, But we did miss the turtles. Uh, And then I think I'm going to just hit the last creator that we talked to. And then we'll turn it over to Clint to talk about the rest of his creators on Saturday and Sunday. I'll I'll talk about some of them. And then we (laughs) should talk about our DC dinner. So before we get over to Clint on his stuff, um, the last creator that we saw was James Tinian. And uh, we saw him at San Diego. You actually saw him at C2E2 a couple years ago. So we've had mm-hmm. kind of we've had some discussions with him about stuff, and uh, just went over to talk to him about Detective and Batwoman, and then talked to him about some of his other side stuff, Backstagers, um, his mini series that he's been been throwing out, uh, Mimetic, Cognetic, and then the upcoming Eugenic one that he's working on. Um, so we just kind of talked to him, and one of the fun fun little takeaways was in his. Uh, boom book the woods he has in the first first few pages i think of the first issue he made reference to uh, marquette high school and uh, i had to ask him about that i completely forgot the last two times that i saw him but i had to ask him about it because that's a a parochial catholic high school in downtown milwaukee that unless you live in the milwaukee area you probably don't know about uh come to find out he went to school there and my father-in-law is a teacher there he ended up actually having my father-in-law for physics, so that was kind of a fun Whoa. little connection there. It's uh, now he lives in L.A. and 
um, nowhere close to to Milwaukee. So that was kind of fun and, and a little bit a uh, little bit of a, a neat little connection. So I think that was it for creators for the most part for James and I. So Clint, why don't you tell us on rest of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, who else you saw if you had anything that stood out? Okay. Um, well, I'll just kind of talk about other creators that I met. Uh, Mateo Scalera was a really cool one. Um, he uh, He's working on Black Science right now with Rick Remender, who is probably one of my biggest influences. Uh, it was really cool talking to him. Something that I, I was asking a lot of... Um, artists in particular was kind of just asking them what they, what they like to see in a comic script. And, uh, I kind of got similar things from everybody. Um, which was, it was, it was pretty cool, but just talking to him particularly was just really cool because I'm a huge fan of Remender's work and just hearing how he, how he collaborates with his artists is, uh, just pretty great. Um, Two others that were just super helpful. Uh, Phil Hester, who I talked to, um, I talked to on several occasions. Just super nice guy. I bought a page from Shipwreck, which I mean, his page prices were just just insanely low. I just had to have one. Uh, but yeah, him and Declan Shelby, who's working on Injection. Uh, those were two very very uh, useful people to talk to because. Warren Ellis is probably my favorite writer, and just hearing that was great. Um, Justin Jordan was cool. Uh, someone I also talked to was, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, uh, Paul something. He's the artist on Outcast. Oh, um, as I look up at the wall, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Carry on. Yeah. I'm sorry, I can't remember your last name, Paul, but... Um, he was really cool. I don't actually read Outcast. I read. I think I read a couple issues, but I'm really as behind. Asita? As yeah, that's something like that's that. probably it. At least something close to it. Um, but he actually had a lot of great advice for me. I mean, most of what the artists were saying to me is that just the writers really trust them to tell the stories right. They aren't super specific, and if there's something that they need to communicate or need to emphasize, they'll make that clear to them. You know, they're not like Alan Moore and going to just talk about the placement of every pen on the panel. Um, so that was really cool. I'm probably forgetting a bunch of awesome creators. Um, but uh, one that I want to kind of shout out to, um, he's he's kind of a more, more independent guy. He doesn't have any big stuff coming out yet, uh, but his name's Tyrell Cannon. Uh, he's really cool. I met him at a Cake a while ago, which is a Chicago kind of alternative uh, comics expo, and uh, he's a really cool guy. He uh, he's able to work in a lot of different styles. Like he has a lot of like '90s inspired stuff, kind of like kind of like Liefeld, but he takes his own like kind of modern spin on it. And uh, I don't know, he's just a really nice guy, and uh, I just see his work improving every time I see him, and uh, really cool guy. So, um, I can talk about stuff that happened on Saturday and Sunday, but do you want to finish up Friday before I do that? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, this is the all Clint hour. All right. So, Saturday, Saturday and Sunday were kind of, I mean, I had already done everything that I needed to do for the con, so I was kind of just, you know, 
floating around, kind of revisiting creators, meeting some lesser-known creators. Uh, so that was pretty cool. I can't really think of anything significant that happened on Saturday, you know, because I mostly met people that I already met. Um, so, uh, later that day, I went over to the Valiant booth. Just super nice people. Talked to them. Uh, they had some pretty cool stuff. I kind of wish I got a shirt. They actually had some Valiant underwear, which I, I'm pretty sure they had like one by the end of the con, and I just, I really regret not jumping on that. But, uh. Was it faith sized? No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> they were like, they're like briefs with, I think there was like a Bloodshot one, an Exo Manowar one. It's just like, why, why, why did you do that? But it's awesome. Uh, so I was talking to this guy there. The con was almost over on Saturday and, uh, guy just hooked me up with some free stuff, gave me a Bloodshot shot glass, which is hilarious. Um, then he told me about this panel that they were doing. Uh, for their upcoming web series, Ninjack vs. the Valiant Universe. Which, uh, it's done by Bat in the Sun, who does the Super Superpower Beatdown, I think it's called. Did they have to, did you have to get an invite to the panel, or was it an open panel? No, it was an open panel, but the guy was just kind of <clears throat> telling me about it. I really, by that time I wasn't planning on going on any panels, but, you know, I didn't really have anything to do the rest of the day, and it was actually after the show floor closed, so, you know, I thought I'd check it out. They were showing some exclusive footage. Uh, so I went over there. It was my, my first con panel. Really cool. Uh, and, uh, there were some people involved in the show. And, uh, Jason David Frank was there. Who is, you know, known to most people as the Green Ranger from Power Rangers. But, uh, he's playing Bloodshot in this series. And, uh, I saw some footage of him in the show. I saw the first, like, five minutes of the actual show. It seems really cool. You know, it's not, like, movie-quality stuff, but um, it's definitely above what you'd see in, like, some fan film. Uh, and you can just tell that Jason David Frank is so, so into playing the character of Bloodshot. Like, he's read the entire publication history of him, and... Yeah, really cool. Anything you guys want to know about that? Do you think his that? line in the future will become longer for Bloodshot than Power Rangers? I'm I'm hoping so. There's I don't no really. <laughs> I mean, I hope Bloodshot's successful, but Power yeah. Rangers is a thing. It's only got what twenty five years of history. Yeah, Absolutely. television history. And plus, he's still. I think he's still part of the franchise, Power Rangers franchise. He's, I think he showed up in the. He certainly the gets booked for a lot of uh, VIP events from the Power Rangers franchise. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. anything else from you for the weekend? Well, uh, yeah, I think I'll just jump to Sunday. Kind of less eventful, but um, I went up to Michael Walsh again, who just super nice guy. I just kind of went to him uh, at the beginning of the con, and uh, he was eating a taco at the time. And he's like, "Like, hey, you know, if you wanna, if you wanna just sit down here, uh, you know, and hang out, that's cool." So he offered me a seat behind his table, and we just talked for like, I think like a little over two hours. Did you share a taco with him? I didn't. No, he was he was finishing up, finishing up his tacos by that time. Bummer. I mean, they looked pretty good. I don't know if I would have shared. Uh, were they Choco Tacos? They, they were not. They were from some, some taco truck, and I don't think they had Choco Tacos there. Ah. I, I didn't check, though, so they could have. And uh, So what did you guys chat about? Just 
everything, you know? Like, we even just talked about TV and comics and, like, you know, stuff he was influenced by, and... I mean, we were just talking, like, two pals. So, yeah, like, him him and Jordy are kind of, like, my two, like, the two kind of personal connections that I made. Very cool. Which is, you know, pretty That's neat. very cool. And he's doing a lot of work with Marvel. I think he has, he has some top secret thing coming up, and he said it's probably the biggest thing he's been working on, so... I'm excited to see that, and uh, did you, actually, did you get a sneak preview of what this top secret stuff is, or is I it didn't. that secret? That, it's that secret. Wow, even buddies don't get to know. No, no, unfortunately not. But yeah, he was also working on my commission at that time, so I got to kind of watch, watch him. him work that was on the, that. the Hawkeye commission. Right? Yeah, the Hawkeye yeah, that commission. That looked really cool. And it was, yeah, it was just super cool. Super nice guy. That's the best part about those shows. If you get a commission. Is anybody can anyone can get a commission done and you go pick it up, but when you can watch them mm-hmm. do the entire process from start to finish and then hand it to you, yeah, you can and take talk it to home. them the whole time. That's the coolest, the coolest, especially for you getting to watch his his mm-hmm. process of starting that. Yeah, it's just so neat. He's one of my favorites. Um, yeah, so I have I have that. I have the. Phil Hester page from Shipwreck. It's like the second page of the first issue. It's insane. Um, got a bunch of prints from a bunch of people. I completely redecorated my writing desk, and it's it's great now. And I think that's uh, you know what you should do. That's pretty much it. So you should get Warren. You should reach up out to Warren Ellis and <laughs> see if you if you can get the second page or the page of the script that goes with that and have him sign it, and frame it together. That would be great. I also got it signed by the the anchor. Andy it. Parks? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Well, he's been, he's worked with Phil Hester for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So, neat. so overall, your con experience was, sounds kind of dismal. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it was really good. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to over-dramatize it, but I mean, it was, it was, it was really life-changing, you know, because just being a comic writer is just, you know kind of my biggest focus in life right now and it's just so crazy meeting all these people so it met. exceeded your expectations that you had set when we did when we yeah. talked on thursday night and we talked about what what you would expect to get out of it 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 far exceeded what it what you thought it would be yeah i mean i was looking forward to meeting these people but i wasn't expecting them to be this nice or <laughs> to actually talk back to you <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah just so so supportive, so down to earth. Uh, I was never expecting to get, you know, connections with Jordy Belair and Michael Walsh. Like that was just, that was huge. And it just, it really felt like the start of my career there just because so much of it is networking and just, you know, I have my name out there now. So pressure's on. (laughs) (laughs) Pressure's really on. Yeah. And And, um, in in some regards too, but I, I think we, we're gonna push you because we just one thing at the very least you got to get done ASAP. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's that, uh, that cover. That so cover. We're gonna push you. I'll we're figure out you. some cover to get made and get it colored. And uh, what, just one last thing, one last piece of advice I got from a lot of people. It actually started with uh, Otis, who is another creator I talk to a lot. But you know, I think I think we're pals now. So, <laughs> um, he was telling me. I actually mentioned, like, you know, maybe in, maybe in three years I'll I'll get a table here. And he's like, no, just do, do it as soon as you can. Just just get some get some short comics out. You know, like five or something page stories uh, to hand out to people, and just 
get a table. Get your name out there. I, I so, know a non-creator who told you that first. Okay, okay. <laughs> you don't carry as much cachet. That's true. I mean, I mean... You I, just carry cash. I listen to you sometimes. You know, you, your once, suggestions once hold while. some weight. Once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um... And a lot, a lot of people were also pretty, uh, pretty supportive with that. They're like, yeah, like just get a bunch of short stuff done just so you have a finished product. Um, and yeah, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to shoot to get some, you know, good amount of stuff done by next year and hopefully get a table there and I'll, I'll look at some smaller conventions too. And, uh, on that note, I want to, so you just getting a table and not having any real real work to show, but you want to show off what you think you're capable of and kind of show off an example of this is what I want to write. This is the caliber of work that I want to put out. Yeah. Another big difference to me between the two, the top two companies right now was think about where, where people, a lot of new people get discovered. If, if you're going to be a comic writer or a comic artist, mm-hmm. you can find people on, on DeviantArt and stuff, but, a lot of people are going to get discovered in Artist Alley. They're yeah. going to get discovered because their work gets referred through someone. They're going to get discovered because they do uh, some cool-looking period-style bombshell artwork and some DC editor somebody says, <laughs> hey, how about do a variant cover month, and then they give them a second variant cover month, and then they get their own book. And, you know, there's And then they get action figures and clothing. and Right. <laughs> so you can get discovered in Artist Alley. If you, can, you can start as an amateur, complete amateur now, we saw Friday. Yep. We I'll take a guess which company had one of their top guys walking around with his wife just chatting with people <laughs> in Artist Alley. I'm gonna give three seconds. You can say it out loud. If you said Marvel, you're wrong. It was Dan DeDio. <laughs> Dan DeDio and his wife were I assume it's his wife. I would guess. Yeah, we'll make that assumption. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we're just walking around in Artist Alley, just kind of chatting with people, and we said hello to him. He's the friendliest guy. I, I mean, to think that you have Didio, who's probably got so much work and so much um, talent thrown at him every single day that he he could have a pick of the litter for who he wants to throw on stuff, and he's still combing Artist Alley. I'm sure a lot of that is talking to guys that he already knows and stuff, but at the same time. You got to figure if the Dio's walking around and he sees a tremendous talent or what he thinks could be a tremendous talent, he's got the clout and the ability to say, "Here's my Bring number and my email, yeah. and you know, let's talk to you." And so that should give anybody hope that you think I set up an artist alley. Who's going to care? Who's going to see it? Well, maybe Dan DeDio's going to see it, uh, or who, who knows who's going to see it. But um, yeah. I thought that was really cool, and I thought it was very, very telling about how much DC is they're plugged into the comic market right now. They're plugged into creators and fans and they're focusing on selling quality books, not just selling a number of books or variants. Right. So that, that earned a lot of points in my book. Me too. So then we met up, you and I met up with our friends from comics for fun and profit. I was Drew and Kyle and Clint came along with us yes, and we uh, we kind of chatted for a bit at the convention and then it was uh, as it was getting towards closing time we determined well let's get Adel out of here so we uh, we got outside we were going to walk over to Reggie's 
to go back to CVCS and see what they had rocking over there. And there happened to be a nice big old bus that had Reggie's spray painted on the side and all sorts of psychedelic colors. And we're like, sweet, we're going to Reggie's. <laughs> Hop on the bus. The driver gets on and we confirmed we're going to Reggie's. And he's like, no, we're not going to Reggie's. Because I think he originally said, jokingly must have said, yeah, we'll swing. Yeah. Well, then we were like, oh, crap. Uh, but he ended up changing his mind and he decided, well, we'll stop, drop you off on the way. It's yeah. right on the way. So, uh, it worked out great. We got on the bus, went over there. I don't know the driver's name, but he was a hoot. So if you ever hop on his bus, hold on. <laughs> um, but we got to Reggie's, uh, and went upstairs and kind of gave, you know, Drew and Kyle a little bit of lay of the land of who CBCS was and kind of showed them a few things. And then there was this, uh, this gentleman <laughs> over and it kind of off to the side a little bit. Had a representative standing next to him, and uh, just looked like a wise man. Well, he was. Uh, well, I knew that he was going to be there, and I was. There was no way I was going to pass up uh, an opportunity to speak with Roy Thomas, and so I went over and uh, had him sign the first issue of Conan. I, I would have brought a lot, a lot more stuff. I've really been thinking for for him to sign, but like I said, you can't get every everyone to sign everything, you know, and. Uh, Man, I'll tell you, Roy Thomas, the guy who's been in in comics, he he probably has had besides like Stanley and Jack Kirby, he's probably directed the Marvel Universe more than anyone. Uh, Roy Thomas has just had a, an incredible influence on comics as we know them today, mm-hmm. and uh, the guy is a wealth of of information, just a font of information. It's, it's unbelievable. He, he is someone who has kind of redefined, um, golden age, the, the golden age DC characters with infinity incorporated. Um, he kind of, and interestingly enough, uh, he changed the, uh, the date that the JSA originally formed to his birthday, which was kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, real nice guy. He talked, he talked to us about, or talked to me, I should say about Conan and how John, Bush, when they were planning the book, John Mishima was too expensive. Gil Kane's page rate was too high. And there are a couple other guys he went through. They're all too high, but, uh, Barry Windsor Smith was a, a kid who had been pitching some stuff for a while. And finally they decided to give him a shot because his page rate was really low, would have been really low. Of course, now it's Barry Windsor Smith, and uh, the guy's a legend. But he gave he gave us some neat little tidbits about uh, like the first page. Originally, the first page of Conan was Conan. When you turn to the second page, it's right in the middle of a battle. The first page was originally Conan like jumping off of a a big cliff, and then the second page, that first panel was him kind of like landing and jumping into the fight. But Roy Thomas said, nah, we can't, we don't, we don't want that. He's like, we got to have that first page be some kind of iconic shot. And so that, that first page of the first issue of Conan, where it's him holding the sword up and, uh, it's an image that everybody knows that was because Roy Thomas didn't want, he didn't necessarily care for that first page. Uh, he, I mean, he, I don't know. How long did I talk to him? I don't even remember. It seemed like days it was a long time. Probably about a, 20 minutes, half hour. Yeah. He, but he gave me a lot. He was just telling so many little industry stories about, like, uh, things like pieces of, of 
original what's what's a good example i think he said there was like an avengers cover that his cat peed on or something and they had to uh they had to like cover it up somehow or something like that he said the I bet the guy who owns the original art doesn't even know that, you know, <laughs> like that they had to, they had to like add something or add some text over one of the picture or what, like one of the characters or something like to hide it. And I don't know. He just had all sorts of weird little tidbits like that, but it's Roy Thomas, you know, he's he, mm-hmm. guys quite the, uh, quite the legend, but I figured Clint has spent so much time talking to these creators that are very established, but that are newer creators. Yeah. You know, we're, there are people that have been around for maybe 10 years, you know, I mean like guys like Phil mm-hmm. Hester have been around for a while, but yeah, sometimes you got to get the, you've got to get advice uh-huh. from, from the sage old guys like Roy Thomas. So I had Clint come over and yeah. talk to Roy Thomas. I got introduced. I forced so. it. So yeah, you did. But I had to, I had to, it was... but now you, but again, you can say Roy Thomas told me, uh, you yeah. know, this or that. And uh-huh. that, that, that holds a little bit of clout. Someday when you're a big established writer, you can throw that around. Um, but what kind of stuff did Roy Thomas tell you about? Like, did you, did the information that you got from him, did he give you different information than the stuff you got from the people who are like the rising stars right now in the industry? Or did he pr- pretty much say the same type of thing? Um, again, I got to jog my memory a little bit. Uh, it was, it, it was a little different. Um, yeah, I was actually going to get back to him, but I, I wanted you guys to tell the story about how we got there first. Uh, he was, he, was, he was just a really cool guy. I mean, he's, you know, he's done he did so not look much. 76 either. No, no, he was, I mean, it was, it was pretty loud in there. And I mean, I could, I could hear him well. He didn't look like he was losing his breath or anything. I mean, <laughs> he was, yeah, it was, it was really, really cool getting to meet such a, you know, such a big legend in the comic industry. Um, Boy, uh, I was just kind of talking to him about, you know, hey, I want to be a writer. Uh, I was talking about some of my some of my struggles, and uh, he just kind of asked me, like, are, are are you worried that people aren't going to like it? And I'm like, well, you know, s- sort of, you know, I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking too much about it, and he's like, you know, just just write for yourself, and someone's bound to like it. And you know, I I had heard that before, but just hearing it. Hearing it said to you by someone so so important in the field that you want to work in, it was just really neat. And I mean, he he talked to me about other stuff. We probably him and I probably talked for like t- ten minutes or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like just it was it was a pretty surreal experience, and just being able to say that I got to do that is great. Yeah. So we ended up we shot. Oh, and Alec. Alec came up too while we were at CVCS. So we he did. We hung out with him and, and with Drew and Kyle, and we chatted for oh, good another half hour just about anything and everything. You know, industry stuff. We talked about. We took a big group picture. And then we did. CVCS photo bombed us too, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, Steve Paulus and, and our and our good friend Pam. I think they were part of the photo bomb. I don't think Pam was in the photo bomb. She was. She was right behind me, so she probably didn't get seen. Uh, but yeah, so it was it was a good time, and then uh, James, you and I headed off to dinner, where we met up with uh, some of our our good friends from DC, Lucky Ducks. Mm-hmm. We talked about what they've got going on, how things. It's basically, honestly, it's 
they ask every time we've ever talked to them, they lead off the discussion of what's working, what's not working. Yeah. What do you need help with? What can we do better? And then of course it always evolves into just talking about anything and everything industry related. And, and, you know, we told them that rebirth has been selling great for us because the way that they've approached it is different and it's given us a chance. And, you know, a lot of confirmation of that, they said, well, don't worry, we've got more, more stuff coming up. There's going to be more uh, opportunities, obviously with what we learned about Mm -hmm. on Thursday in their panel. Um, And then we got to just sit down and talk. And we had Stuart at our, our desk, we had, or at our table, and Vince and Ski, and, uh, you know, all three of them. I mean, Stuart's been working at DC for like 15 years now, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, Ski's I, been in... I think the only one of those guys that we didn't have at our table was Adam, Adam. Phillips. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Jenna. Jenna's yeah. was on the other table. But, um, I mean, among those three from DC Comics, their entire comic book um, and publishing careers have got a total close to a close to a hundred years. I mean, of, of industry awareness and knowledge. So it's just, it's so much fun to sit and talk with them. Um, mm-hmm. And we had, we got some really good stories about some, um, some creators and things we're not going to get into on here. Just some things for us that we got to know um, about personal stories that these guys have had with, with individuals, which was kind of fun. I what I my takeaway is always when we start talking about like really like obscure characters and obscure uh, books that that I love, but like you know ninety five percent of the comic reading public has never read, and and those guys are like, oh yeah, that's a great book. Uh, I it's, it's just a, I don't know. It's always fun talking to those guys because they. They are fans as much as they are people doing their jobs, and you can you can very much tell that. But yeah, that was a cool, cool, nice little dinner. And uh, we got home by what about two thirty in the morning on Saturday, so that was all good. Anything else, or are we all done, James? Good. Well, our diamond delivery just pulled up. The delivery is here. It is time to get to work. Clint, thank you for joining us again. Thanks for having me. And uh, for everyone out there, we will talk to you again next time. On behalf of all of us, thank you for listening to this episode of Cowcast. You can find us on all the main social media outlets, including Facebook at facebook.com slash on Twitter at Incredicow, or on Instagram at Cowabunga Comics. To send an email to us directly, send it to podcast at cowabungacomics.com, or to join in the discussion, you can hop on our new Cowabunga Comics forum at forums.cowabungacomics, that's cowabunga with a K, dot com.